0: Welcome back to the camera gear podcast. I'm Daniel, I'm Lucas, and we're here today to talk more about the gear side of photo and video. Got some interesting topics today, and we're going to start with some recent drama between Canon and Viltrox. So, Lucas, can you tell us a little bit about what happened there?
1: Yeah, so Viltrox has been making autofocus lenses. I assume that most people are familiar with Viltrox. They kind of come across as like a cheap. Brand, but really, they make some solid lenses, decent optics. Maybe not you know comparable to like your G Masters and your Red Ring Canon lenses, but pretty good lenses for basically half of what you're going to see as far as price compared to you know your Sony or your Fuji's. PhilTrux has been making autofocus lenses for our mount, and Canon sent a cease and desist letter to them. It wasn't public, but It became public after somebody was asking, Hey, Viltrox, why did you take these R-mount lenses out of the store? And they're like, well, it's not our fault. Canon told us to stop. And I thought that was really interesting because it seemed like for the longest time, people have been opening up to third parties. Tamron and Sigma have been making lenses for EF and lenses for E forever. And so to me, I always thought it was a given that Canon was let other people make autofocus class but apparently the autofocus algorithms for our mount aren't public and they want to have control of it is it just the autofocus algorithm
0: or is it the whole the whole rf mount i mean are there any third
1: party rf lenses i don't know i think that viltrox was the only one who was doing it but that's not uncommon for for viltrox they kind of jump to the market make something for hmm. any make things for any mount and then they sell cheap glass because that's kind of that's kind of their their position. It's like we're gonna undercut everybody, and most people don't need the most perfect glass. They just need something in this focal length. There's probably some Samyang, maybe some Rokinon stuff out there, but I don't know if it's a if it's a mount infringement or if it's a uh, autofocus infringement.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. And. In- I mean, it is surprising to see because it feels like those third party lenses are still good. I mean, we both have third party lenses for our cameras, and they're good lenses. I mean, we don't have any complaints about them really, and I mean, sometimes they're not as good as a first party lens for whatever reason, but it's a good option to have. and so it's like it's kind of a bummer that you don't have that option on Canon if they're if they're not allowing
1: that. It feels like canons often compared to Apple as far as like you know they're the Apple of the camera industry or whatever. And, like, they make their own sensor, and they're making their cameras, and they do the thing where they want to, you know, maybe they don't have the best specs, but they're trying to have, like, the best overall experience. Like, you look at the EOS R, and it it was this flagship camera that was great, and even though maybe the specs didn't totally match up, it was, like, this whole package. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, Ken's, you know, the, the Apple of the camera industry. And this feels like just another step in that direction.
0: Yeah, it does. And I mean, the RF lenses aren't cheap either. I used to have an EOS R and I mean, there were a couple of cheaper lenses that came out that 51.8 that was uh, two, 250 or something. And there's an 85 that was pretty reasonable. But a lot of those RF lenses are super, super expensive. You're paying one or $2,000 for a normal lens.
1: Seems like a lot of other camera brands have focused on using Canon's mount. Red, Black Magic, they both use EF mount. And they've since released things with R mount. Mm-hmm. Cameras with R mount. And, I mean, Canon's not giving them a cease and desist for making cameras with their lens mount. I guess they just want to own the lens ecosystem. But there's not, like, a ton of R lenses. And it feels like these manufacturers maybe made their cameras with the same mount as Canon out of good faith. It felt like a given that R was just going to be the mirrorless version of EF. And here comes Canon stepping in and saying, no, we're going to own this lens mount, and we're going to own the autofocus for it, and no one else is going to make it, and we're going to make all the money.
0: It kind of makes you wonder, you know, if you're Red and you made the Komodo with an RF mount, like, what are they thinking right now?
1: Yeah, exactly. Because
0: nobody else is going to be able to make autofocus lenses for that system. Mm -hmm. You know, I hope hope people are happy buying Canon lenses. Yeah,
1: and I'm sure that, like, Red is maybe not so much worried about autofocus because no one's really autofocusing on those kind of cameras. And maybe it's not the end of the world to just swap it out with a PL mount. I'm pretty sure that most of those cinema cameras, you can just change the mount on that. And so that's maybe not a huge deal. But also, I mean, if I was like Blackmagic, I'd be I'd be rethinking, you know, what I'm going to do. Because Canon's not making any new EF class. They're only focused on R. And now it's pretty clear that they want to be the only ones in that space.
0: Yeah. I don't know what to think about that. Yeah. It's weird to see it. I mean, we don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe sure. maybe Viltrox never talked to them. And I mean, if it was just, you know, they reverse engineered it and released it, I can understand why they would do that. I mean, it's kind of like trademarks. You have to protect trademarks by suing people that use them. You know, like if you want to keep your trademark, you have to defend it. And I wonder if it's a similar thing where they they have to do this in some way. But
1: obviously Canon is justified in that like they made the camera, they made the lens and like sure you know why not let them own you know the the money and everything from that and the profits and and all that stuff but as far as like the camera industry and these gear manufacturers i mean it's it's just kind of been a given that like you know if a lens maker wants to reverse engineer your autofocus system and then release something sure people can buy it and they understand that like yeah the autofocus may not really work or may not be that great. I mean I used a a Fringer EF to XF adapter for years and that Fringer adapter came out before Fuji released autofocus you know information for their cameras that was all proprietary but they they reverse engineered it for all these lenses and you know Fuji never sued them as far as I know and it seems like it was a gentleman's agreement across the board that sure the camera manufacturers may not make the stuff about their mount public but letting other people reverse engineer it was okay. So I'm a little weird that they slapped Viltrox's wrist.
0: It is weird. Do you think that if you were in the market for a camera, would this would this sort of news stop you from buying into the Canon RF system?
1: It would make me second guess it. I think that whenever you're buying a camera, like people say, you know, you you marry your lenses, date bodies. And I switched from Micro Four Thirds to Fuji, and I don't think it was a huge lift for me to just sell all of my lenses and then buy new. And you recently did that with, you sold a lot of your Canon stuff and and bought into Fuji. And I feel like maybe that's not so much of the problem, you know, to have to sell everything to switch. But whenever, you know, I'm making those decisions, I am thinking a lot about, you know, what lens mount am I getting into? And if I'm investing thousands of dollars into, you know, good lenses and glass, I want to be able to know I'm going to be able to use it on the next thing. And... I mean you're locking yourself into a camera mat regardless so whether or not you're locking yourself into Canon's R or you know Sony's E it's it's whether or not you know you're going to be okay with using only uh, only manufactured glass.
0: I kind of agree with you. I mean I always heard that same logic about you know like dating bodies and marrying lenses but I don't know. I mean unless you have tons and tons of lenses or if you have something really rare or something it it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal to sell stuff and switch. It doesn't seem worth it to me to Stay with something that you're not super happy with, just because you have lenses in that system.
1: But to go back to the question of like, is this a turnoff for Canon? Depending on what you're doing, you know, you only need you know, a handful of lenses, and if Canon had all the arm mount lenses that you need for what you're gonna do, maybe it's like it's probably fine. It's frustrating that there aren't any cheaper options. Like you're not gonna be able to go out and buy you know a Sigma zoom that's comparable but a thousand dollars less, but more often than not, I would prefer to have the brand name lens. I would rather have, you know, all Fuji glass or all Sony glass, instead of mixing in some, you know, Sigma and Tamron, even though those are perfectly acceptable lenses. And and I have one of each of those for my camera. I don't know. I think I I would prefer to have the manufacturer glass. So I don't I don't think it's necessarily a turn off, but it is kind of frustrating to see them close themselves off from from the third party industry
0: yeah i think i agree in terms of the main lenses it doesn't really concern me but it is a little concerning if you wanted any sort of specialty lens if you wanted a anamorphic lens or something like that i mean canon's not going to make an rf anamorphic lens or maybe they are maybe they have one i don't know but it it just feels it just feels like some stuff like that is going to be more limited you know and so i'd like to have third parties be able to make stuff like that I kind of agree. I don't think it would stop me from buying a Canon RF camera, but it's at least something I would think about and I I'd like to see them reverse that decision.
1: I guess, you know, we have to wait to see what else comes out of this. I mean, who else is making RF glass? And is it just Viltrox? Like are do they may have something specific against Viltrox here or is it is it everybody?
0: Yeah. Are you looking to see if Canon has I
1: am looking to see <laughs> Sigma has not released any Canon RF mirrorless lenses. Uh So
0: yeah, there you go. Maybe that's why.
1: Maybe that's why.
0: Well, I think that ties in pretty well with the next thing we wanted to talk about, which was lens adapters. So Mm -hmm. sometimes you have a camera of a certain mount and you have a lens of a different mount and you want to use them together. There are all kinds of different adapters you can buy that let you do that. And we've had the opportunity to use a lot of those different adapters. So I thought it'd be interesting to talk about that. And kind of what our experiences have been, what the pros and cons of that is, and how we feel about it, whether we would want to use them in the future. So what have your experiences been with using those sorts of adapters?
1: Yeah, so I guess first I should know which which adapters I've used, and I mentioned it earlier, but uh, I've used the Fringer EF to XF, and I've used some dumb metal, you know, $30 FD to FX, which is old film lenses, and um, on some of the other projects that we've worked on, we've used EF to L mount, uh, which is for uh, Panasonic. And then uh, what what have you used?
0: Well, so we've also used, we both, I think, used, and what was it? I guess an EF to an E. So right. a Canon lens to a Sony E mount. And then I've used a actually a Viltrox uh, Micro Four Thirds Speed Booster. So that goes from uh, full frame ef glass down to micro four thirds and because that one's a speed booster it has glass in the adapter and it what would i guess the speed booster basically takes the image circle from the full frame lens and yeah it it down to micro four thirds
1: yeah and intensifies the light it gains you 0.71 times um on that light coming in so that it reduces your uh or increases the amount of stops of of range you have
0: right and so you you've got both types of things not not every adapter has glass in it and the speed booster has some advantages but it also has some disadvantages that that you have extra glass between your camera sensor and the lens let's set the speed booster aside for a moment let's talk about just the adapters i mean what do you think about those Have have they been reliable for you like do you feel like it's the same as using native glass or is it worse
1: yeah, so having used used an adapter for a number of different EF lenses to my Fuji camera, I just kind of can't stand it anymore. I'm kind of tired of it. It's, you know, obviously there's like any lens, there's always maybe like a little bit of play like in the lens mount, especially if you've used the camera for multiple years and you're like swapping a lot of lenses out. There's always like just a smidge of play um, and it's not a big deal. It's fine. But with the lens mount it's like there's play where the lens attaches and then also where the mount attaches to the camera. It always feels like there's just like a little, too much, a little too much wiggle there. And I never feel really great about how secure it is. And optically it's typically fine but I mean one of the big advantages of mirrorless is that you can get the back element of the lens closer to the sensor. And what the, effect does that? And the have? closer those are together, the sharper your images are going to be. Okay. And so by using an adapter, you are you know agreeing to have uh, like maybe a less secure mount, and you know not as natively supported autofocus, and your images aren't going to be quite as sharp as if you're using something that mounts directly to the camera. I mean, I always let it stop me from using like a twenty four to one hundred five or an eighty five on my Fuji camera from EF, but after a while it was it just kind of came down to me wishing that I had you know more native native glass and I think maybe half of it was half of it was the build and the connection but the other half was the autofocus and it not um doing like the slow focus pulls. and for the specifically for the fringer, the autofocus function was good enough and it was fine but for sometimes with an unsupported lens or in you know some edge cases, you would go to do like a focus and if it was like all the way at infinity and you were trying to focus to, you know, minimum, the um, the lens might like that after might geek out and then, you know, the lens starts like Slamming against its uh, edge of its autofocus, and it's like click 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 click, and then the camera shuts down. Uh, I know that you had that problem with the Viltrox on the GH5, where you like, oh, we guess the camera locked up, and I had to pull the battery out.
0: Yeah, I was I was actually going to ask if you had experienced any of those issues because you mentioned that the adapter's a little bit loose on the frame, and I was curious whether that was a just a feeling, you know, or like like or whether you had actually seen effects of that because what I saw with the Viltrox one. I mean, those adapters all have electrical contacts in them because it has to be able to send signals from the camera through the adapter and then to the lens so that you can actually do the autofocus and all that. And yeah, with the Viltrox, sometimes I, I think it was because it was a little loose, but it was like sometimes it would glitch out and and do something to the camera to where it would lock the camera up, and I couldn't even turn the camera off with the switch. I had to pull the battery out, yeah, to reset it, uh, which is really bad whenever you're in the middle of trying to shoot an event or something and the The stuff is happening right in front of you. It's you know okay, guys. Sorry, I've got to turn my camera off and back on. i mean hopefully I get to the battery because I need to get get to it to fix this thing. It's just not and a good experience.
1: Specifically with that problem on on the GH five and the Viltrox, there was a situation where you pull the battery out and you put it back in, and you're not guaranteed what settings you're going to go back to. And there was some stuff that I was editing that you shot on a project where the white balance was totally off because you had to pull the battery and. Nick didn't realize that it changed the light balance on you that's a good point yeah so like that's that can be frustrating and
0: and i have to admit i mean that's a cheap adapter so yeah, it is so you can buy metabones as the company that makes good speed boosters mm-hmm. and the metabones micro four third speed boosters somewhere around 600 bucks something like that and my Biltrocks one was like 140 the... you know so it's definitely it's definitely like the budget option but it just doesn't give you a good feeling about your gear whenever you're using it and it's not reliable and you don't know what's going to happen.
1: The EF2E adapter that we've used is Metabones, right? That's right. I once, I once always felt almost native. I mean, I haven't really had any issues with that. I mean, we use it mostly in manual focus, but...
0: I've never had problems with it either. And I think it's better than the speed booster in the sense that it doesn't have the glass mm-hmm. in there. I think that, that helps. But I agree. I haven't having any trouble with that one.
1: I would be really interested in doing a speed booster to APS-C because uh, it makes it almost as large of an image as as full frame and so you can get like that you know full full frame look or whatever uh, with the speed booster maybe get that extra you know one-ish stop of light and so I've been really interested to try something like the Metabones you know EF to uh, XF adapter but I never have and I know a lot of people some people do, some people do use those um, but I do want to try maybe, we said a lot of negative things about these, <laughs> these adapters so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try upselling on it I bought one specifically without the speed booster in it because I wanted, I just want, I didn't want anything extra in there. I didn't want to like lose, lose any light or lose any sharpness or have any, um, you know, bowing on the, on the edge and whatever. And using, and using that Fringer with the contacts in it, I mean, it report every single Bodo video I took, it reports back what lens I took it on with the f-stop correctly. And so that information is always communicated back and even says, you know, like, oh, this was a Tamron EF85. So that's great and that works. And then if you're adapting to a smaller to a smaller sensor, which you know obviously you can adapt EF to E, which is full frame to full frame, sometimes you can get vignetting. But what I was doing, what I've been doing is adapting EF to XF. And so you're you're cropping out the center of that lens, which is going to be the sharpest portion of the lens. So you're you're kind of cropping out the best part of it, and then it gives you this whole other range of focal lengths. I mean most of your zooms are going to are are you know the full frame equivalent of 24 to 70 or 24 to 105 and whenever you go to buy your primes like Fuji makes a bunch of great primes but like they make a, a 35 which is roughly a 50 they make a 56 which is roughly an 85 and they make a 90 which is roughly a 135 but they don't make a 135 and they don't make an 85 and whenever I go and I shoot on the Canon 24 to 105 f4 lens, I mean that's like 35 to you know almost 150, and it's kind of fun and interesting to have this different range because it gives you the opportunity, let me like, get more reach or shooting event stuff, or um, just kind of have a different effect. I I really loved shooting on that 85 millimeter lens on APS-C. I mean it was the equivalent of maybe like 120 millimeter you know portrait type lens, but the compression was phenomenal, and it just like it made everything look super super good. So I kind of you know I like and will keep using the adapter for that reason because it opens up other opportunities to me. Um, maybe like the ability to use a, a Canon seventy to two hundred, so I can have that extra length and also have you know a pretty decent lens.
0: Well, and I think there are some lenses that you can only get in EF or even some of the old. I mean, you can get an adapter for Canon FD to to whatever modern mount you want, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if you wanted to use vintage lenses or if you just had an old lens lying around, they're good for for that. It's cool to have those options. I think they make a lot of sense if you already have lenses in a different mount or if you have a reason to own lenses in a different mount. So, you know, if you own a Canon EF camera and you own a Fuji camera or a Sony camera, then sure, you can buy an adapter for two to $500 and be able to use all of those lenses on both of your cameras. That's, that's cool to have that ability. But I guess where I draw the line is I don't, I, if I was looking to buy a lens for a camera, I think my first choice would always be to buy something for the native mount rather than buy something that I'm going to adapt. I mean, when I sold all the Canon gear, I kind of mentioned that earlier that I'd sold a bunch of Canon gear and got into Fuji. One of the things I had was an EF 70 to 200. And I definitely had the thought you know, I could just buy that Fringer adapter and I could use that 70 to 200 on my Fuji camera. And I kind of had to weigh that against just selling that lens, not buying the adapter and getting the equivalent Fuji X mount lens that would just natively mount to the camera. And I just think that if you have the choice between those, I think that's always the right choice. It's Mm going to be smaller, more reliable. Like if I don't have to use an adapter, I'm not going to, but like you said, there are good reasons that they that they're there, and I'm glad they exist.
1: Yeah, and it's it's cool to have it in a pinch, but I, I 100% agree with you. I'm never I'm unlikely to go out and buy more EF lenses. Like I have I have the 24 to 105, and I have the 7200 because I inherited them, and it's cool to be able to like use them. You know, or for the period of time where you were using EF lenses, I could borrow one of your lenses. But the adapters kind of ended up putting you in a you in a weird spot, specifically because you had the. RF and you had the GH5 and then you had a series of EF lenses you were adapting to both cameras and so you kind of had lenses that matched both cameras but didn't mount to either one natively and then you're like I don't want to buy any more EF lenses because they don't mount to any of my cameras but I don't want to buy any RF lenses because I'm using the GH5 for video but I don't want to buy any micro four third lenses because they don't work for my photo camera and maybe I don't want to buy more micro four third cameras and so like you were in a a tough spot you feel like you couldn't buy any lenses. Well and that's that's kind of the funny thing about
0: EF, because, I mean, the other thing we haven't mentioned is that some of these newer mirrorless mounts, you can't really adapt to other mounts because because that distance between the back of the lens and the sensor or the flange distance is so yeah. short. Like You know, you can't take a Canon RF lens and adapt that to a different mount. There's just not enough space for that adapter.
1: Right, that's worth that's worth explaining maybe a little further. Is like the whole reason you can adapt things is because the distance from the sensor to the back of the lens has to be a certain exact distance and whenever you take the mirror out of a camera you have you know a pretty good a pretty good distance there that you can work with i think that there are some mirrorless to mirrorless adapters because the distance for um e-mount is actually pretty far compared to something like uh, nikon which is which is extremely close um but you're still dealing with like millimeters
0: yeah yeah i Maybe they exist, but I mean, just as an example, I haven't really seen anything where you can take a Canon RF lens and adapt that to any other system. No.
1: And well, then they're not going to let you anyways because they'll just see your pants off. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> Don't try to make that adapter. Bad yeah, bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> oh, boy. So I I would be interested in in trying more more adapters in the future, specifically to do the speed booster thing. Because bringing that back into the conversation, that might be a reason to do it. You know, maybe you want to have those extra stops of light or maybe you want to make your APS-C or Micro Four Thirds camera look more like a full frame camera or, or whatever. And I would be interested to see, you know, what is what does that full frame look on a Fuji lens? I mean, we have, to, we have to say speed
0: boosters are super common. It's not a rare thing to get plenty of people use them. It was a really common setup when the Blackmagic 4K was, uh, was a popular camera because that camera had a micro four-thirds mount, mm-hmm. but everyone wanted to use EF lenses with it. And something like the Sigma uh, 18-35, to people wanted to use that on the Blackmagic camera. And so it was like everyone buying the Blackmagic 4K just put an extra $600 in their budget to buy the Metabone Speed Booster. And it was a very common combination. Yeah. I mean, it was so common that when they came out with the 6K, they just gave it an EF mount because it's what people wanted. Mm-hmm. But I mean, something like that makes sense. And I used to own that 18 to 35, and it was great that when I put it on the GH5, it was giving me f 1.2. Yeah. I mean, it was you, you you do get that extra stop of light and a little bit of a wider field of view. I think I think it multiplies going from EF to Micro Four Thirds, it multiplies it by, like, 0.7x or something. Yeah, and 7. So you can know, get a little bit a little bit wider view. And I mean, it was nice. I liked it. I, I didn't like the specific adapter I had, but I'm on board with the idea of a speed booster, I think.
1: I guess maybe one of the other advantages slash disadvantages would be, you know, that, that extra element in there may soften up the image. But, like, if your complaint is that you've turned the sharpness down to minus 4 on your XH2S and it's just still too sharp... You could put like an old crappy vintage lens on a speed booster and then put that on the camera and it probably would be just incredibly soft. I mean, the speed
0: booster is basically just like having a promus filter built in, right?
1: I mean, usually what I like to do is I like to take the speed booster and rub some Vaseline on it and then put the lens mm, on there yeah. and that makes it even softer. Yeah. 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 Don't try that at home. <laughs> That's how they shot all the... Um, all the dream sequences in Veronica Mars. Oh, that's so gross. How do you how do you clean that off? I don't know. Maybe like you have your Vaseline lenses over here. Like you take them off the camera and you set them to like end down into the Vaseline, and that's just how you store them. I mean, that's def- that's definitely
0: a use case for renting gear.
1: <laughs> Why
0: is this sticky?
1: Don't worry about it. We are shooting a dream sequence. <laughs>
0: I wonder, like. Can you put the lens cap on the lens after it's had the Vaseline on it? I mean, it probably it, it, slip it
1: wouldn't fall off. Maybe I think it would It would just stick on there, right? Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> okay. I don't know about that. Yeah. Let's, let's move on.
0: <laughs> Last thing I wanted to talk about today was uh, the Fuji X-H2. Uh, so that came out fairly recently and we both own an X-H2S and I think we like that camera quite a bit. But now there's an X-H2 and it's i saw it has 40 megapixels and i'm interested to talk about what the differences between them are i want to know do you regret not getting the xh2 or do you you know what's the difference between the xh2 and the xh2s who should buy each camera
1: i mean i was i was gonna ask you i mean no regrets, or uh, what do you think i mean xh2 does 8k that's that's pretty cool it yep. would have been would have been
0: neat to be able to do that definitely having higher megapixels for photos is cool but I don't think I regret my decision. I guess we'll get into why why somebody would choose either camera. I think that the X-H2S is probably
1: a better video camera. It feels like that was that's kind of what they were trying to do. I mean, you have like your A7s and your a 7 And the S seems to always stand for video for some reason. I know it's like speed or, you know, whatever. So, sure, like X-H2S for video, X-H2 for photo. But then you run into the Fuji problem where they have to put all the features of every camera in every camera, and then they release 50 of them, and then you're like, what's the difference between an XE4 and an XT30 Mark II? And yeah. you know, like, oh well, they're just the same; they just look different. And so it's the same thing here. Like they come out with the XH2S, and you know the buttons and the layout and the screen, everything hardware is exactly the same, except the sensor. And the sensor is not stacked. And so the main difference between the XH2S and the XH2 is literally what the sensor can do. And what those read speeds can do. And so, you know, your, your XH2 can shoot 8K because it has the resolution for it. It can shoot the 6.2K like the XH2S, but it doesn't shoot at open gate. Um, it does support the ProRes, uh, which is fantastic it supports all the same codecs it'll output raw i think no it doesn't it doesn't output raw i think it does
0: does it i'm pretty sure okay. pretty
1: sure it does it, it doesn't shoot as fast like your your burst rates are maybe half of what you mm-hmm. get on the XH2S uh, it probably auto focuses just a little slower cuz it can't read the sensor you know as quickly to read that many autofocus frames but i mean that's that's basically it it's like do you want to be able to shoot sports uh, do you need to be able to shoot open gate um, in, in that 3x2? And do you want slightly faster autofocus? Or do you want 8K, maybe a little worse rolling shutter, and higher resolution photos? For, and cheaper.
0: It's honestly a pretty hard decision between them. They are both they both seem like really good cameras. It's worth pointing out that you, you would look at them and you'd think that the X-H2 is, is clearly the photo camera. Mm-hmm. But... It's really not that bad for video. I mean, it has almost all the same features like you said. You still get some advantages of that higher megapixel sensor. Mm-hmm. Fuji's thing is that it seems like they downsample from the sensor. Like they yeah, they, they, they never do. they never really take a crop, you know, from a smaller portion of the sensor. It's always right. downsampling from like on on the XH2S, it's downsampling from 6.2K for almost all the modes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the XH2, I think it downsamples from the 8K. It does.
1: It does. So you get you get really good-looking footage and if you're not filming something where there's a lot of movement where you might worry about the rolling shutter then it's not a problem and from what we're looking at a lot of i know we're talking a lot about video and it's like it's a photo camera but you know a lot of the reviews that have come out thus far the rolling shutter in the xh2 is not any worse than something like the xt4 because it has that newer processor in it so it's sure it's not an xh2s but it's still pretty good and i think one quick thing that we also didn't cover um, as far as different is F-Log2. Mm-hmm. The X-H2S will do the, because it can read so fast, it will do the 14-bit read on the sensor and then give you that extra stop or so of dynamic range in in video.
0: Yeah, with, with F-Log2
1: specifically. With F-Log2 specifically. F-Log1 the same on both cameras. F-Log2 is better on the X-H2S. But then also, like, none of this matters for photos because you're shooting 14-bit RAW for photos regardless. Yeah. So it's, like, only specifically if, like, you need open gate or you need one extra stop of dynamic range or you need better rolling shutter, like, why buy the X-H2S for an extra $500? Yeah.
0: It, you know, thinking about it, it's really surprising that there's that. They give a price difference between the two. Yeah, it is surprising. If you really care about photos and if you don't need the specific things you just mentioned, yeah, it's, like, why not just get the X-H2? Now, is, is there a difference in the noise or in the low-light performance? Because, I mean, same sensor size, but they're putting 40 megapixels in one versus 26 in the other. We always hear that having larger pixels lets in more light.
1: Is there a difference there? Have you seen anything? I haven't seen anything as far as noise performance. I think the noise performance on both these cameras is uh, pretty incredible. I haven't seen anything that says that the X-H2S is better significantly than the X-H2 as far as its its you know noise performance. But I would expect that maybe, like maybe a smidge. I also think that a lot of the discussion of noise on these cameras where, you know, you're like, oh, well, the noise just looks so good. I think a lot of that just comes down to X-Trans and the the pattern of the noise looks less uniform because the pixels are less uniform. And so you get this this interesting X-Trans noise kind of look. Definitely sound like a
0: Fuji fan right now. I just,
1: I can't help myself. I love my Fuji, (laughs) but... I I personally wanted I wanted 40 megapixels for photos. I wish I could crop in just a little more. I feel like I'm 26 is okay, but I want more resolution for the pictures that I take. And that was one of the things I was looking forward to with the new Fuji cameras coming out because I mean, a year ago, you know, 2021, I was like I'm going to buy the new I'm going to buy the XH2 when it comes out. Like, that's what I'm going to do. It's got to be coming, you know, September this year. And then September, they were like, just kidding, it's coming out next year. And so, you know, I was eagerly waiting for it. And when the XH2S came out, I was like, pre-order right now. And they announced that they were going to come out with the XH2 in the Fuji Summit in May. And so, like, I knew it was coming. And we knew it was going to be 40 megapixels. And we knew it wasn't going to be stacked. And so that's why, you know, Maybe I took a day or two before I pre-ordered it. Because so I was like, well, do I need to wait to see what the X-H2 is going to be? Do I want those 40 megapixels? And to me, the, the stack sensor, and stack sensors being like the next big thing, that was more important to me. And I wanted the stack sensor more than I wanted the higher resolution. Fuji hasn't released a f- official list, or they're about to. I mean, I saw it on Fuji Rumors, but not all of Fuji's lenses can resolve to 40 megapixels. Um, I mean, you can take pictures with any of their lenses, but you're not going to get, you know, as sharp an image with something like the 1614 as you are going to get with the thirty three one four. Because the newer lenses have been, like, they've been slowly re-releasing all of their primes to resolve to that. But buying into the X-H2 right now, it's kind of a weird situation because maybe all not all of your lenses can resolve to 40 megapixels. And then you might have to upgrade your lenses down the road. Or maybe if you want to get the most out of that resolution, you might only be able to get the most out of it with, you know, half of your half of your gear.
0: Uh, I'm curious if you'd actually even notice that difference.
1: I mean, you notice you're cropping into like four hundred percent.
0: Yeah, but who's doing that? And I, I don't know. <laughs> it, I'm not sure about that. But you know, one thing I thought about too is uh, a feature that I really like on on a lot of cameras now is that you can you can do some sort of crop mode where it takes you can press a button and it takes a crop from a smaller portion of the sensors that you get a zoomed in In fact most of the cameras we've used have that the a73 has it gh5 and the xh2s has that too and it's, it's just handy if you're shooting and you just need to get a little bit closer than what your lens can do you press that mm-hmm. button and it punches in and it occurs to me that with the 40 megapixels if it's downsampling from that 8k sensor that might look a little bit better than what you get on a lower megapixel sensor. Not sure.
1: Yeah, I guess I guess that's probably true. I mean, yeah, downsampled is always going to look better than pixel for pixel because it has more information to work with. I mean, you see that directly on the R5. I mean, the downsampled 4K versus the versus the pixel for pixel 4K looks significantly better. Yeah,
0: I don't know. I I don't think I regret getting the XH2S. I mean, I do like that it has less rolling shutter. It's just nice to not have to worry about that autofocus performance being faster is like a useful, important thing. I mean, those seem like good things, but I mean, I got to say, I think if I was buying right now, I would at least give serious thought to the X-H2. Not saying I'd go for it, but with a $500 difference between them, that's basically like buying another lens with the, with the camera. And I was surprised, I guess, that, that it was so similar.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could walk away with a, with a, you know, a twenty three one four and an X-H2 for the price of an X-H2S. If I was presented the option again, you know, buy the X-H2 or the X-H2S, I would still buy the X-H2S, mostly so that I can dunk on people who have an a7S three, because that's just as many stops of dynamic range but with a smaller sensor.
0: And I guess that's that's kind of the thing that I keep forgetting is the, the 14-bit F-Log2. I mean, that, that is something that I think is actually going to make an impact in, in images, you know, if you're, or I guess in video rather, if you're shooting... F-Log 2 and grading it, theoretically, you should see a little bit better results there. And I mean, we're always looking for more dynamic range. So right. that's something you want to maximize. It's interesting. I Honestly, I, I don't understand Fuji's strategy all the time. I feel like they release too many cameras that are too similar. And in this case, it, it's going to be really interesting six months or a year from now to see how many people are using the X-H2 versus how many are using the X-H2S. The,
1: the answer is they're all going to still be using Sony. that's that's probably true fuji is weird in that way that i really appreciate that they don't they don't try to nerf their cameras when they release the xh2 they're not they didn't take ProRes and raw out they were like we have these features it's gonna if it works we're gonna ship it and i I really appreciate that it does make their camera line a little weird and that they're going to release an xt5 somewhere down the road and it's going to basically be an xh2s but with with the physical dials instead of the psam on top yeah it's like why am i going to buy an xh2s when i can buy an xt5 that has like all the all the same features so maybe they won't do it i am curious to see like what they decide to keep and what they decide to decide to not maybe they don't put the stack sensor into the xt5 maybe it's 40 megapixel but that's just kind of been fuji's approach is like all the features in every new camera, but it does make it kind of harder, maybe easy to pick between their lines.
0: There's a stark contrast there. I mean, if we kind of bring it back full circle, we started off today talking about Canon, and that is definitely not something that Canon does. No, and no. Canon has come under fire many times for nerfing some of their lower cameras. I, I saw somebody talking about this recently, and they said they pointed out that one big difference is that Canon has a cinema camera lineup, yeah. and so. Canon's trying to protect that and they they want to have tangible features that make you move to, you know, C200, C300, whatever. Fuji on the other hand doesn't do that. Like they don't Fuji doesn't make cinema cameras.
1: They make cinema lenses. They make
0: cinema lenses that cost ridiculous amounts of money, but they don't make cinema cameras. <laughs> and so they have no reason to hold anything back from something like the XH2 or XH2S. Yeah. And I mean, that's definitely something that draws me to the to Fuji. It's nice knowing that everything the camera can do is in there. It's just interesting to see kind of the difference between their approaches there.
1: So if you had, you know, if you were starting fresh, you didn't have you didn't have any, any glass, any camera, and you're looking at, you're looking at an XH2, XH2S for, you know, between 2000 and $2,500. Is there something else that you would consider over that? I mean, what are your other options for that price range?
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Cause we we've kind of, we've kind of talked about that. It's, it's, it seems like it's in a a unique spot in the market. I don't. I don't really know what's in the same in the same boat. I guess the GH6 is around the same price. Sure. And maybe that. Maybe the GH6 is better for video in some ways. I don't. I don't really think it. I don't really think it is. But
1: yeah, the GH6, GH6 has a lot of really great video features. But something like an A7 IV costs twenty five hundred dollars brand new, and so like you know you're directly competing with a full frame camera there. But I don't know what other full frames you're gonna compete against. I mean, it's the Fuji is gonna be more full-featured than something like um, what is it, a Z50? Mm-hmm. And then uh, Canon you know, R6. Sure, Canon R6 is 2500. 30. Yeah, I think it's 2500. Okay, so you're looking at you're looking at you know they're low mid-range for mm-hmm. Canon. I would say the A7 IV is like the general use camera for for Sony, and that's a pretty good camera, but. Their lenses are just so expensive. Well,
0: that was what turned me off of... When I was looking at cameras, that was what turned me off of Sony was that I didn't want to pay for their lenses because all of their lenses are 1200 and up.
1: Yeah. I feel like it's a really, it's a really important cross shop to look at is like you have your a7 and you have your X-H2S. And obviously the big difference between those two cameras is you know, full frame versus APS-C. And you have to decide like, does the sensor size matter? And ignoring like... The lenses, because you could get some Sigma lenses for Sony and, and make them cheaper. I think the Fuji is still a better buy. I think that the colors are cooler, not like colder, but like film simulations and Eterna and an F Log 2. I mean, that's all great. And then you just get more, more like video features. It's a higher, It's a higher end camera. I would say it's more comparable to something like, you know, the. The A1, right, rather than the the A7
0: IV. It's at least comparable with the A7 S3.
1: Sure, yeah, which is, definitely which comparable is a full, to that.
0: Th- which is a full thousand dollars more expensive.
1: And and you get you get more more codecs. Like the A7 IV doesn't shoot ProRes. It will shoot 10 bit internal finally. But I did this I did this cross comparison. Whenever I bought my XT3, I was like, should I buy an XT3 for eighteen hundred bucks, or should I buy an A7 III for you know two thousand dollars? And you know, they're basically the same price, but uh, whenever you're shooting whatever you know 4K on an A7 III, it's shooting it at 50 megabits per second. Versus the XT3, I can shoot all intra 400 megabit per second and get a much higher fidelity image that I can color grade and do whatever I need to with. And I just feel like as far as a complete package, the Fuji just has all of it. And unless you need like a bigger sensor or better autofocus, I have trouble, you know, seeing why I'm going to get the A7 IV over over the X-H2S.
0: Yeah, if you're starting, if this is your first camera, I kind of agree. I mean, I think where Sony has a good advantage is that there's a clear, there's a clear progression through many of their cameras. You know, you could start with something like an A6400. You could buy lenses that you can then use on an A7 IV, on an A7S III, on an FX 3 you, know, you you have kind of a clear upgrade path. Maybe that's a good thing about it. But at that twenty five hundred dollar price point, I kind of agree with you. I think that I think the Fuji makes more sense. I mean, clearly we both feel that way. We we bought the camera, but <laughs> right. I mean, it's a it's a very strong competitor, and and there's not really anything else out there that has comparable features at that price point.
1: No, no, they they're in a really really sweet spot right there, and I don't know. I guess like. There's such a such a push for full frame. It's like you can't be taken seriously if you're if you're not full frame, and so I'm obviously that's a big argument for for the A7 IV, and I think the E lens mount is kind of the next thing. Like EF for the longest time was, you know, that's what the cinema a lot of cinema cameras use. I mean, if you're not shooting, you know, like really really expensive, you know, anamorphic or PL or Leica, um, you know, it's. It's EF, and, you know, I think that E is maybe going to take that spot. Sony Lee has their mount open, so, like, Sigma and Tamron and all these, like, everyone makes everything for E. And you can find E-mount glass used all over the place because everyone's Mm -hmm. using Sony. And so I think with, like, the prevalence of E-mount you know, it, it's, it's so ubiquitous. That's a pretty good reason to buy into that system.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is a point in its favor. I think even, even some cameras like the Ronin 4D support uh, E-mount Yeah. and that's, that's a downside to Fuji. I mean, we're probably not going to see other camera makers supporting Fuji X-mount. We're lucky enough that there are third-party X-mount lenses because that was not always uh, a guarantee either.
1: I mean, are I mean, there any other competitors in that price bracket with those features I mean, you could probably get a used S5. I think like the, S, the S1, the S not the S1H, but the, right.
0: the more photo-oriented S1, I think is around that price. But I mean, if you want to talk about lens prices, the, the L-mount <laughs> lenses are the most expensive lenses I've ever seen for, yeah. for consumer cameras.
1: But as, I, that camera is getting pretty long in the tooth. But they ported over a lot of the S1H video features to the S1. And I mean, for 20 2500 bucks. That's a pretty good option.
0: I mean, I think the S1's a competitor. I think if you're doing photos, definitely the R6 or the A7 IV would be competitors. And then for video, I think you you have to look at the GH6 and the Blackmagic 6K and 6K, 6K Pro. Those are those are all in that in that mm-hmm. range.
1: I guess we haven't talked, talked at all about the om E-M1. Is that a Micro Four Thirds? Yeah. The, that's Olympus, right? Yeah, that's the new Olympus camera. That is the other camera that has a stacked sensor. And like it has incredible IBIS. And if you need something that shoots at a long range in a small package, I mean, it's a great option because, I mean, you get the 2X crop on it. And so you can have this, like, tiny little lens, and you can shoot whatever, 1,000 millimeters, Versus, you know, someone who's coming from full frames, like, carrying, you know, a log in front of them.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Micro Four Thirds is definitely nice for the size, but I just can't, I can't imagine buying another Micro Four Thirds camera at this point. It, It just doesn't seem like there's enough future in that system.
1: I would, I would agree. It feels like everyone's kind of moving away from it. And we talked about, we've talked about stack sensors before and how, you know, that's really closing the gap and trying to, you know. Maybe there's still some optimization for sensor size. I'll argue all day for APS-C. Like I like I like the size of the cameras. I like the size of the lens. It's really close to Super 35, and I really like Super 35 because like film and and all this stuff. And so I just I'm a big nerd about Super 35 and APS-C, and I feel like it gets a bad rap because it's not full frame. And then I will happily turn around and tell you that Micro Four Thirds is too small, and it's too noisy and doesn't get enough light. And I don't want to go back to Micro Four Thirds. Yeah,
0: I mean, I I fought all those problems with the GH five. It was always a struggle not having enough light, and it's telling that I used the speed booster almost all the time with that camera because you know it's basically like, how can I make up for the shortcomings of this camera? Sure. I mean, there are advantages to it. I we mentioned the smaller lenses. I think Ibis probably works better on Micro Four Thirds because that because that lens is, or because the sensor so small and. GH5 and GH6 have incredible Ibis. That's probably still unmatched. I mean, the yep. other the other thing though is just kind of a mentality thing. Like I think the GH series is really interesting because Panasonic has not held back on those at all. Uh, the video features on the GH5 were incredible for their time, and it still holds up now. It's still the only camera in that price bracket that can show you a waveform, show you a vector scope, stuff yeah. like that. And I mean, those are definitely. Great features to have and uh you know not something that most other camera manufacturers have done in cameras
1: in that price bracket i still don't think that micro four-thirds is long for the world. long for this world it's sure that the omd came out and the gh6 came out and like there's a lot of space for it for if you need the the small camera or the, or the long lens but the omd is is 16 megapixels the GH five is maybe twenty, and that's about all you're going to get out of it. And I knew like resolution isn't everything, but whenever you're shooting photos, and especially if you want to print something, I feel the you know twenty three is, is pushing it as far as megapixels, and I, I really would like something more. The forty megapixels in the in the XH two is the most have ever we've ever seen in a, in an APS C camera. And I think that, you know, 40 is pretty good. I mean, that's comparable to, to a lot of the full-frame market out there. And so I think that that gives a little more life to APS-C as, as a sensor size option, especially when you're trying to optimize for it. You're, we're not going to see a 40 megapixel micro four-thirds camera.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think they're going to last that much longer. That's That's why I... Have moved away from that system. And I mean, it's it's unfortunate, but it's just, it seems like technology has passed it by. I mean, if you Mm -hmm. need something that's that portable, then use your phone. Sure. I
1: mean, that's a really good point. Anything else we can talk about?
0: I think we've just about covered it. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed this, make sure to rate us on iTunes and let your photography friends know about the show. We'll be back with more next week.